1: Hey, Chris, it's Gilbert from southeastern Wisconsin. It is a gray and cloudy day. I just wanted to say thank you so much for the incredible podcast. Uh, Your guests, your wisdom, and your views have truly helped expand my mind. And uh, as a young man of 19 years of age, really um, allowed me to develop a well-rounded and diverse um, world philosophy and life philosophy. So I hope your trip up the West Coast is fun and fruitful. And yeah, thank you again, and I'll keep on listening. Bye. Hey, Chris. Zachary here in Chiang Mai, Thailand. I'm currently laying in a very comfortable hammock, looking up at some beautiful foliage. You can hear people making coffee behind me. It's a pretty funky cafe. Just wanted to say thank you for making the podcast. Thank you for doing what you do. Keep doing it because people like me way out here on the other side of the world really appreciate it. Take care, brother. Hello, Chris and fellow lovable apes. It's Nero here down in Australia. I've just picked up a new van and doing the long 18-hour trip back home. So thanks for being my companion, getting me through these long hours on the road. love everything that you and your guests share and lots of love sending out to you and all the fellow listeners. Peace.
2: Thank you fellas. Chiang Mai, Wisconsin, Australia, little diversity there. Three men. I don't get a lot from women. I don't know if that reflects the audience or women just aren't as eager to hear their own voices. Um, but ladies, send me your send me your uh intro thing if you're into it. No pressure, but if you're into it, why not? Uh, good to have you represented here. Uh, welcome to another edition of Tangentially Speaking. I've been racking them up pretty fast recently, so I'm gonna try to release two a week, m- maybe even more than that if I if I get the time to um, put them together. But this one I just recorded a couple days ago. This is an actress named Alexandra Paul. She was, uh, I guess, most famous. Uh, her her like biggest role in terms of publicity was on Baywatch. She was on there, I think she said four or five seasons, the original Baywatch um, back in the day. And uh, she's cool. She's really, she's great. I really enjoyed talking with her. In fact, it's one of those conversations that I enjoyed so much that we didn't get to half the things that I intended to get to. Because in addition, in addition to being an actress for quite a while now she um is very serious about animal rights and environmental causes political causes of various uh types and we never really got into that which reflects the fact that um i guess our conversation about her life and her and acting uh was absorbing enough that we just kept going down those paths and also i have to tell you i liked that. I like that someone who is sort of known for political activism isn't really all that insistent about talking about that part of their lives. So it's it's a passionately held set of beliefs and I'm you know very well considered, I'm sure you'll hear she's a very intelligent person. Um but she's happy to talk about whatever comes up. I appreciate that. So I hope that we'll get together again and maybe we'll talk more about those aspects of her life next time. She's got a podcast that's going to be starting up in January. So, uh, hopefully she'll agree to come back on and plug her podcast sooner to the, uh, the date when it's actually out there. So you guys can check that out. Alexandra Paul. Anyway, uh, I don't know what else I'm going to talk about. I, I don't, this whole Brett Kavanaugh thing is happening now. And, uh, yeah I mean as I say in this conversation with Alexandra I knew dudes like that you know I went to this college that was frat boy heavy infested with frat boys and um, yeah I know that type that sort of rich uh, privileged golf club what's it called lacoste shirts you know with the little alligator like all the the khakis and daddy's Porsche and all that shit. I I remember freshman year at Hobart. It's funny. I don't think I saw this. I think I heard about this. But it's funny how memory works because I feel like I saw it. But I don't know if I actually did. It was 1980. Who the hell knows? I was probably stoned out of my mind anyway. Uh, but... There was a kid there who was um, from the the Spalding Sporting Goods family, and uh, the story was that he showed up first day of class freshman year with this uh, older gentleman next to him, you know, suit and tie. And the professor first, you know, he's taking a role, and he says, uh, "Excuse me, sir, who are you? What's going on?" and the kid next to him says, Oh yeah, that's um that's my assistant. He'll be taking notes for me. <laughs> Total douche move right there. Anyway, the professor kicked him kicked the assistant out, you know, the butler or whatever the fuck he was. Uh but that's the kind of college I went to. There were a lot of very uh entitled assholes. I think that kid, I think that Spalding kid, actually died before he graduated. If I remember correctly, he wrecked his car into a tree or something. And so, yeah, that was kind of a bummer. But um, this this uh, Kavanaugh dude, you can just see it; like he can't believe that anyone would dare to get in his way. How dare you, women! lower class people, blacks, you know, these are all people who who just like, you know, get a job and uh, when you don't like them anymore, you fire them. So to have them getting in his way must be really annoying for poor Brett. Anyway, by the time you hear this, Brett may well be on the Supreme Court ruling over Americans lives for the next 30 or 40 years, wreaking vengeance upon us. I don't know what's going to happen, folks, but, you know, as much as I agree and encourage this get out the vote thing, everyone's passionate, the midterms, they're going to show it to Trump and Beto O'Rourke seems like a cool guy and Elizabeth Warren seems cool. And, you know, God knows it would be so much better to have people like that making decisions than these this collection of lunatics and idiots that are in charge right now. I I don't see how they're going to be able to do anything structural. That's going to change the trend lines toward greater and greater inequality in, to my knowledge, the only thing that really, makes a significant adjustment in those trend lines when they start splitting wide open, as they have been in this country for the last 30, 40 years, since 1980, actually, since Ronald Reagan was elected, uh, is violence. That's it. I'm not, don't misunderstand me if some government person is monitoring this. I'm not suggesting or recommending or calling for violence. I'm just noting what appears to be a historical fact uh, that those in power, whether it's wealth or political power, military power, they don't give it up. They don't just walk away from it. One of the things that's been unique about the United States is this tradition of peaceful transfer of power from party to party. But the thing is, both those parties are working for the corporations, Both those parties represent big money. So power is not really shifting from the powerful to the less powerful. It's shifting from one representative of power to another representative of power. As I said to a friend the other day, you know, the... the reason the Republicans keep winning is because the Republicans are playing to win. The Democrats are playing to make it seem like there's a competition going on here. Even when the Democrats win, I mean, the Clintons are just fucking Republicans. They're just Republicans with a a kinder face, you know, more brown people, more women, but they're, you know... They're still representing power. So I don't really see how things are going to change in any fundamental way without some kind of major catastrophe, whether that's terrorism, war, revolution, something. It's going to be bloody and messy, and I don't think minor adjustments are really going to do a lot. Although, let's face it, even minor adjustments... As the ship is sinking, we'll be welcome. So, have a nice day. Anyway, I'm not going to talk anymore. This is Alexandra Paul. I'm going to get this up. It's Wednesday, October 3rd. And I'm going to get this up today. So we can keep moving along. I think the next episode will be Charis Ford, who's an environmentalist rapper. Super cool guy uh, who we met in Colorado. I actually met him... Years ago, at a party on the beach near Barcelona, he was hanging out with a young lady named Daryl Hanna, who was the first person who ever asked me to sign a copy of Sex at Dawn. Isn't that bizarre? Such a strange world. All right. Thank you for listening to this podcast. And I'm going to play a little piece of music I really love. It's it's a cappella, just voices. And uh, it's a studio outtake. I don't remember how I got it. I think somebody sent it to me years ago, Uh, but it's from the Beach Boys, a band that I've never really been into because I'm not a beach guy. I'm not a surfer. I'm not blonde. I don't tan. I don't like have a six pack. Like I got nothing going on that really leads me to hang out on beaches very much. Uh, So maybe that's why I don't like the Beach Boys that much. But when you listen to this, you you'll really hear how beautifully they harmonized. And uh, so I really, I really like this particular piece of music. And of course, you know, Baywatch, Beach Boys. It's cliche, I know, but what the fuck? It's a nice piece of music. All right, check it out. Uh, the Beach Boys studio, I'll take. And then Alexandra Paul. Thanks for listening, y'all.
0: One, two, three, four. Woo! <gasps>
2: gentlemen we are here in my tiny little topanga living room and i'm with alexandra paul who is so you are a multifaceted person i guess everybody's multifaceted (laughs) but your facets are pretty prominent right you're you're probably best known as an actor uh, but you're also very active in animal rights and anti-war movement you're very politically engaged so you're not just another pretty face that's
3: well, I you know I did star on the television series Baywatch for five seasons, and there were a lot of pretty faces, and none of those folks were just pretty faces.
1: Yeah.
2: When
3: you work on a show like that, you realize, and I never met a bimbo either. Really? Yep. Never met a bimbo, and I and I worked on that show, so. Um, but thank you.
2: You've never met a bimbo in your life, or nope. just not on that show?
3: Never in my life.
2: And what about, if
3: I if someone across comes across to me as a bimbo, I look at it as I haven't taken the time to get to know them properly.
2: Right. Yeah, my feeling with that kind of thing is uh especially the bim I mean, if we're talking about bimbo as a whatever, whatever that is, a bimbo. I, I see it as a very American thing and probably someone who feels a lot of pressure to come across in a certain way. Mm. So I to me it's it's like I see And, and
3: fails, I guess.
2: Well, not necessarily. I mean, I, I don't know, like Marilyn Monroe. She's sort of the sort of the tip, a prototypical bimbo, right? right? But she's very smart, very sensitive, very wounded, and appealing to this sort of male hunger for innocence and stupidity. So she's faking it to give men what she thinks those men wanted, and I guess they did because she's
3: this sex. So symbol. I guess what what I'm hearing is that. I guess I never really thought about what the definition of bimbo was. I just know that I've never met somebody. I always feel like people are more than, uh, are usually, are always more than what you see when you meet them, even if you meet them a bunch of times. And so that if I, and I've seen that especially with women, is that people are quick to give them labels, give us labels. and it actually labels the labeler more than it does the the person. But that's interesting what you said, was that women who might appear to fulfill a bimbo role are doing it because they wanna be liked or they wanna fit in or um, they wanna be heard, seen, noticed. Um, And it might not mean, it doesn't mean at all that they're not smart. Right. But we do think bimbos are dumb yeah isn't that part of it yeah when actually they're super smart now (laughs) because they're yeah uh, (laughs) Uh, yeah
1: I
2: think of them as wounded yeah you know that's and I live most of my life outside of the U.S. so to me that anything that's very American I kind of see it from a distance in a way
3: did European men not um are not are different in terms of what kind of women they are attracted to
2: Uh, they don't. You said you said that. Yeah, I don't think there's a Spanish equivalent of a bimbo. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a Spanish female type who is appealing for male attention by accentuating her kind of like voluptuous yet innocent kind of dumb. You know, like that. What's that line, Marilyn Monroe? Like someone gave her a book for a gift, and she said, "Oh, thanks, but I already have one." Right? That's like,
3: <laughs> I had heard that. You know, I don't well, know if I that's think even true. European women can de- are definitely feel very comfortable in their uh, <sighs> sexuality right. and can show right. it and things. And maybe it's just that they don't w- try and dumb themselves down. And maybe right. in America, right. women feel like they. Some women might feel like they need that.
2: Well, an American culture accentuates youth so strongly that the little girl, oh, I don't know how to do anything. Can you help me? That thing is very American. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have, you know, like you walk down the street in Paris or Madrid or Barcelona and, you know, there are 60, 70 year old women walking down the street who are sexy as hell and know it. And they experience themselves really sexy. Whereas I think it's harder in America because the culture is so focused on this sort of youthful, I don't know, you know what I'm saying? It's like an infantilizing kind of sexuality in America. It's very strange.
3: I do. I I mean, I'm 55 and I remember that in my late 40s, I noticed that people stopped looking at me Hmm. or at least taking a second look. Really, stop looking, stop seeing me, yeah, and yes, I became less famous too, but so maybe that was what it was, and I was conflating, but I think it was also my age it's funny, it's interesting, I, and, and, it's and it's I not, think a lot yeah. of women feel that
2: yeah, and it must be confusing because also the the male attention can be very oppressive, and so to feel that attention being like diminishing could, f- I, I, yes, imagine, if I Yes, yes. You know?
3: No, yeah, you're right. I, I have reframed it, but at first my ego was hurt. Yeah. But then after years you reframe it and you realize how free it is. Not, yeah. in a way there's a freedom to not be seen.
0: Yeah.
3: And as I get older, I, uh, my mom has told me this: is older people, not just women, but men also are less and less seen in our society. Right. So <clears throat> first, first the women get hit with it, and then both men and women. Yeah. And the, and you, I, you know, I have reframed it as this is, gives me more freedom because right. there's something they say that you know men are afraid to be laughed at by women, but women are afraid to be killed by men. Mm. And there's always a little bit of fear mm. of men, stri- men that you don't know looking, noticing you. Right. Right. subconscious probably
2: yeah I uh I, you know I lived in Spain a long time and one of the reasons is that I found the whole interaction between men and women to be so much more relaxed and um I don't know like when women were less afraid
0: mm.
2: which made them it, it was so much nicer to walk down the street when you could interact with women just eye contact and not feel like they were afraid of you like you, you know?
3: were preying on them or yeah you were-
2: you're a potential rapist mm. or something you know and then you come back to america and fear permeates american society so strongly you know anything i mean i was in a park a few months ago and there were kids around and somebody came and sat next to me and they're like so you are these kids yours and oh, what are you doing here and it's like you know god imagine if i were black or homeless or you know right. looked threatening i mean i'm i'm the most unthreatening type of man you know you can be pretty much over 10 years of age and even i'm a suspect you know i'm hanging out where there are children why are you here what's going on you know
3: so i appreciate on one hand that someone was willing to get involved cuz i i feel mm. like people who Care, I'm interested in in those people who uh, are willing to ask questions and not like you know the uh Kitty Genovese. I'm it's an old reference, but (laughs) you know, yeah, right. So, but at the end, the police, even nobody called the police. Uh, uh, if for your listeners who don't know, it's an interesting story, but um, at the same time, I agree, yes. People are afraid of each other, but um hopefully what so what did you say? You said no and did you develop a rapport with that person?
2: Um or, or no. Did you no. were you
3: pissed and left? I, I
2: was kind of pissed.
0: <laughs> I grabbed a kid and dragged him into the van, and I left.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know, I try to fulfill everyone's worst, worst possible thoughts of I me. Mean, so, you you were you involved in the political and the animal rights stuff from the get go, or did that come after your you already had the platform and you decided to use it for something?
3: Uh, so I've been an activist since I was seven when I wrote to president Nixon and asked him to stop pollution. And when I got a letter back, my sister, I have a twin sister and our friend Nancy, um, we all wrote a letter each and we all got the exact same letter back. So that was a little disappointing to know that it was, to learn it was a form letter, but still there was a, a little bit of feeling that we had been heard. Hmm. And, um, so it started there. And then for earth day, no. No, I think, but it was, let's see, I was, it was 1971 and we were living in France actually at the time. So Um, there was no Earth Day then. Um, But yeah, I think it was just as a kid, I cared so much. Pollution was a big deal in the seventies. So early seventies.
2: I lived in near Pittsburgh where the rivers were on fire.
3: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing pictures of that. So my mom was a kind of activist where she recycled and... we boycotted uh tuna because of the dolphins being um hooked when they were uh catching the tuna and she didn't buy iceberg lettuce because Cesar Chavez has asked us to boycott it so those Mm. those kind of things she did and so I became aware and I and I grew up with a feeling that what I did mattered like one person does can have an effect Mm. and I think that that's what carried me through and uh And so when I came to Hollywood, uh, you know, when I was in high school, I was president of the energy committee and I helped the school become more energy efficient. And um, then, you know, went from there. Did you go to
2: high school in France?
3: I went to uh, a a boarding school in Massachusetts uh, called Groton School, small, small school. And um, no, my father, his work took him to France for uh, two years when I was a kid. What did he do? He was a banker with Morgan Stanley. Right. Yeah. Right. So
2: that's interesting. So your mother was an environmentalist, and your dad was an international banker.
3: My mom was a yes; she was a Democrat, and my father was a Republican. <laughs> and they used to joke that uh, their votes canceled each other out. Right. My dad was he uh, had ended up having three very liberal kids: myself, my twin sister, and my younger brother Jonathan. And he was very good natured about it. My mother used to say, if you were Republican, I don't think I could be so accepting. But my dad was great. He would joke to us when we flew in. We uh, grew up on the East Coast for the most part. And we flew in to the airport. He refused to call JFK, JFK. Oh. He would call it Idlewild just to get our wow. little, just to get our coat. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, my dad was, yeah, he was very support- he was very supportive of our... Our activism, even though it he took me to my first um, protest. It was a, a big anti nuke protest in Battery Park in New York City when I was 16. I'm I sure asked if he wasn't would take in me. The CIA. <laughs> I think he was a closet liberal, because like, yeah. his favorite book was On the Road by Jack Kerouac. No. And so, yet, yet on the surface, he was an extremely conservative, buttoned up gentleman. So, yeah. how, how
2: did he integrate that?
3: I'm not sure I he ever did. I mean, aside from did. marrying
2: your mother and having three liberal kids, yeah. you know, which is, I guess, part of it. But
3: I think his mm, he thought when he was marrying my mother, who was a, a British, she was British and she was um, very proper, and he thought that she was getting the, a perfect banker's Mm, wife and she uh, rebelled against that. Surprise! So yeah, Yeah. but they were great parents. My my dad was a great parent. And even after they divorced, they became even better parents. That's great. Um, So they had a very classy, civilized divorce with us at the forefront at all times. So yeah, deep appreciation for them. There's
2: a line from Oscar Wilde. I might get it wrong, but it's basically women marry men hoping they'll change but they never do and men marry women hoping they won't change but they always do
3: (laughs) that's funny yes that's right that's that could be right yeah
2: (laughs) yeah yeah i think that's sorry go ahead
3: i've well i've been married to i've been with my husband for 23 years and i think i had heard that and i really believe that acceptance is a big part of Mm -hmm. marriage and not trying to get well, even anything to change acceptance is except for what you can control yourself. But, I mean, I try and, I guess, make change a lot in my activism. But mm. in terms of people, I think a lot of it is, uh, it's more important to understand where they're coming from. That's where, where they're going. And, you know, what like they want. they're on like, their own path. Yeah, exactly. You know? Instead yeah. of judging that it's different from mine. And, yeah. and what I found from my father, who was a very conservative Republican, he was from Ohio, which is incredibly conservative um, place. And he called himself a Taft Republican because President Taft was from Ohio and a very, very conservative uh, president. Isn't our mutual friend related? Yes. Yeah, she, yes. her husband's a Taft, Yes, right? yeah. yeah, and he's related. <laughs> yeah, he's related to the president All too. Yeah, around. my dad would have been so proud. My dad passed away about 14 yeah. years ago, but yeah. he would have been tickled to know that I knew a, a relative of President Taft. Uh, yeah, so I understood that People, if you understand sort of where they basically come from, you, you, that doesn't mean they're bad people. It just means that their basic idea of how the world works is different.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. Getting back to the whole bimbo thing. I, I, one of the reasons I love doing this podcast is that, you know, even someone who, you know, is going to be interesting, it turns out they're interesting in ways you hadn't anticipated and people who you don't necessarily expect anything from They always have Yeah
3: They're, Everybody I mean I, In
2: fact I, I, Cassie and I talked about this Because we take our van And we I drive around And do Spontaneous Interviews, interviews Oh spontaneous
3: interviews yeah. yeah
2: I mean people we meet Like I just released one this morning With a guy We met in this little town In Colorado We stopped It's a town called Crestone And um, the, It's the only place in the US That does open air cremations Oh And it's this little town in the middle of nowhere and we were driving out and someone said, oh, if you want to see the pyre where we do the cremations, it's on the right. And we pulled off and there was a car there and we went in and there was this guy there digging in the dirt, checking for termites or something. And we chatted with him for a few minutes and he's just a really interesting guy. And I could just tell, you know, like he was Dutch, he was in his 70s, just the way he talked. There was this sort of dignity and... um, Uh, I don't know how to... You know, you just meet somebody and you're like, fuck, I want to know that person, you know? So we ended up driving back to Crestone a week later and did a podcast with him. Turns out this guy's father was a prisoner of war... And he worked on the railroad and the bridge over the river Kwai, that horrible railroad that the Mm. Japanese made them build. And like he's been all over the world and he studied Tibetan Buddhism for 20 years. And it's like all this stuff came out. Just from this guy digging in the dirt there, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's so
3: that's so great that you're bringing to your uh, your large audience people whom they might not ever right. meet.
2: Or people they may, like you, they may people understand. they may have heard of, yeah. but they don't know you <laughs> as a human, you know? Mm-hmm. They're, you're an actor, you're... By the way, actor or actress? How do you feel you about that? You can
3: call that? me an actress. I I actually uh, don't mind that at I don't all. understand um, what people do. I, I never heard What's... anybody who actually did.
2: I got hold off at a party once
3: oh really wow well um i i i'm been an actress for over 35 years you could call me what's the insult i don't think it's an insult at all it's weird um like a
2: you know my aunt isn't my uncle because
3: there's an because there's an equivalent, a male and a female equivalent, then I have no problem. If right. I don't like... My sister was a firefighter for right, a while. So I say right. firefighter very easily, but yeah. a lot of people say fireman. Yeah.
0: So yeah. I think firefighter I is more that. appropriate. Sure.
3: Um, but actress clearly delineates, and for the men, they have actor. <laughs> right. <laughs> but in terms of people's... Um, who they are and us uh, underestimating them... I volunteer with Food Not Bombs which our mutual friend Diana uh, mm. Taft also and th- this is an organization that feeds people who are uh, hungry a lot of homeless people not all but homeless people and so I've gotten to know a lot of people who live on the streets they have very interesting lives they my friend Ray he sees more movies than I goes to more concerts mm. because he goes to more places mm. Because he, um, yeah, he has a very interesting... And he's got a community. And yes, okay, he lives in a tent somewhere. um, But he has a very interesting life.
2: I spent two years living in a tent. There
3: you go. and Look how interesting you are. So we have to...
2: Downtown LA, but yeah, yeah.
3: And so people are so interesting. And we often overlook them uh because of their social status or right. something and
2: well we de- or how they look we desacralize them right in right. the absence of the sacred we yeah. objectify them and yeah i what i was saying is cassie and i drive around and and i get so excited by these sort of uh spontaneous connections and that i was saying to her it would be a cool experiment to like walk into a park And see someone who's, like, not in a hurry. They're not on their way somewhere. They're just sitting there. And just randomly just say, Mm. hey, could we do, you know, can I record an hour conversation with you?
3: That's so cool. It's It's like Chris Ryan's random stories.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, who knows? You never know what you find, right? And you put a microphone in front of people, they, they open up, interestingly, often. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's one idea. The other idea that I've talked about on the podcast before is, people who know they're dying and interview them with the understanding that it won't be released while they're alive.
3: Oh, wow. So yeah.
2: whatever they say is going to come out after they're gone.
3: That's interesting. I hear I heard an EMT once say that because he was often in the ambulance with people who either thought they were going to die or were, go- were going to die, that there were three things, and I can't remember them all. One is they wanted to be forgiven. They wanted to be have mattered, and I don't remember the last one. Mm. But uh, it's interesting. I... Uh
2: So they want to say they're sorry. They want to feel that they affected people. Mm
3: -hmm, That they had meaning. And I don't remember the last one. I don't remember even where I heard that interview, but it was, uh, yeah.
2: There's a book written by a woman who was, I think, a hospice nurse. And she wrote a book specifically about people's dying Mm. wishes and, you know, not last words, but like in the final days, what is it that they thought about? What did they regret? Yeah. Yeah. That's mo- interesting. I would yeah. like to read that. If uh, yeah, I can't remember. I can look it up, but um, yeah, I remember one of them was that they wished that they had um, not lost touch with friends. That they'd put more um, energy into maintaining yeah. relationships. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. I find that at my age, I um, am reevaluating. I don't know if if we're both in our fifties. If I am reevaluating what's what I want to do what's important and things. My friends are still important. Yeah, Same things are still important, but also there's some things that are no, there there are a lot that is still important. I don't think I have new things that become more important, but stuff falls off.
2: Do you find yourself getting like more ruthless in a way? Like with waste of time?
3: I am much more cognizant of... Time wasting I, I I'm an inveterate walker outer of movies. if it doesn't interest me mm. I'm gone. I'm not waiting to see what the end's like oh, if I want to the end, I'll just read it. I will not sit there to try and get to something maybe's right, good right um, but I was always like that with boyfriends too i was I wouldn't <laughs> one boyfriend I hung out with I stayed too long and it was such a huge regret because of time uh, wasting
0: right,
3: um, right. yeah. That's funny. So are you more ruthless with time?
2: I am. I am. And and it's funny because I feel, you know, it, it's co- in the context of what we're talking about, like being more generous with your friends and <clears throat> being more sort of um, conscious of how important relationships are. I also find, you know, it's this double edged sword because I want to have more time and energy for people who really matter, which means the relationships that are more just like sort of friendships of convenience or, you know, well, yeah, you know, he's not a bad guy, you know, eh, you know, kind of a drain, but not a bad person. Like I'm, I'm finding myself like, yeah, I I don't have time for that. You know, sorry, I don't have time for it anymore. And when I was younger, I was more like, Hey, you know, as long as they're not bad people, I'll hang with them. You know, I got time. Why not? Yeah.
3: I, I hear you.
2: It's kind of it feels weird, in I a way, do less things I don't want to do, yeah, yeah, because
3: it's you know i I just have yeah winnowed down just to what's makes me happy
2: yeah the and the more of this shit that you enact earlier in life, the better your life is. I think that's, yeah,
3: that's why we're talking, right? right so you, exactly. that's why you started this podcast, probably, is to teach people for uh, not to 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 give them food for thought so God, they can no, learn. I, I
2: started this podcast hoping that I could somehow make a living from oh. bullshitting. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> no, well, I came on your no podcast. <laughs> how's that
3: to try and help?
2: <laughs> well, that was years ago. It's it's migrated since then. Uh, yeah, because the the audience for podcast tends to be young, so there is a lot of. Uh, sort of like, you know, I've, I've become a lot of people's, you know, cool uncle or something, <laughs> you know, which is not a role that I really <laughs> was anticipating, but there, there it is. I went from being an angry young man to a, you know, wise old man pretty quickly. <laughs> and I, I wasn't really angry or wise now that I think about it. Um, so I feel like we're all over the place here. You're, you were in France for two years. Did you say? Uh, yep. When yeah. I was a kid, though. A couple of years. When I was a kid, and then you went to Groton School, which is like a very exclusive kind of prep school, where like people like Brett Kavanaugh would have gone.
3: <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, it is. It is a school that you know. I was actually the only person in my graduating class who did not who did not go to college.
2: Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Um,
3: and I. I was going to go to college. I just acting got in the way. And then, so uh, then right before, I just changed my mind. So we were all, everybody's on a college track at, at Um It was a great school. It I've never, I did not encounter any kind of Brett Kavanaugh boys there. Mm, they, it was a very nice, kids mm, are really nice.
2: That's good. Yeah. yeah
3: so I, it was I had somehow, a lot of frat
2: boys in college. I, there was a lot of that where I was. The frat to boy stuff?
3: Yeah. I think yeah. a lot of, well, from, Boarding school, you know, a lot of us kids, we don't need to go crazy in college because we've been away from our parents since ninth grade. Good
0: point. Right. So I, I,
3: yeah, I did not go to college, but however, so I took a year off before going to college. I was accepted at Stanford. It was on my way there, but uh, during that year, I started working as an actress. And so three weeks before, I told called my parents and said, I've decided not to go. Mm. For now, and my mom, who had gone back to college at forty, and always said college is wasted on the young, uh-huh. and I've heard you say that yeah. too—that yeah. um, you know that. So here I was; she couldn't really argue. <laughs> right. So, but she was disappointed and concerned that I would never go to college, which uh, was uh, borne out. But I—I um, I did room with UCLA three U- UCLA. Um, co-eds, I guess they were, they went to UCLA and I once went to a frat party and I thought, wow, this is great, college, how cool and I walked in and I really was so disappointed I mean, it was just <laughs> boys screaming, beer yeah. spilling it was not at all what I had thought college was yeah. I thought it was, so I had romanticized it I guess I um, and so, there you go Yeah, uh, was I I still at the time I didn't miss it in a way but I also felt that I needed to stay in Los Angeles and continue with my career because if I waited till I was 21 and came out then I it um I I thought that I might have missed the boat. I needed to get a head start. How did you get into acting? I got into acting because I uh w- did model one summer in New York City hmm. uh and Then when I took my year off before going to Stanford, I was modeling and they sent me out on auditions for commercials and they Mm. asked me to take acting classes
0: Mm.
3: um, because they wanted to send me out on some acting parts like for soaps. And I started taking these classes and oh my gosh, it was like a whole world opened up Really? because I had always, Groton was a very cerebral school. There was... Plays and things, but I was terrified of the drama so girls, doing the drama uh, people. Right. Oh, I was terrified of enough them.
2: drama, just being a teenage girl, right?
3: As to yeah, <laughs>
2: or boy, <laughs> terrified
3: that. of terrified of a lot. Um, so I had never imagined being a actor we we were a family who went to museums we did not create art it just wasn't something that wasn't really we didn't that was not our identity right it's ironic because my sister's now a writer and and i'm an actress so we actually did end up more creative than than we thought we were when we were kids going to be when we were kids um
2: does she do fiction or nonfiction?
3: She does uh, nonfiction. Yeah, nonfiction. Uh, And yeah, she's had five books published, and um, she's amazing. She's getting married this uh, Saturday, and I'm I'm the minister. Really? Yeah. Oh, sweet. I'm excited.
2: Can we we plug her books?
3: uh, Yes, her name is Caroline Paul, and her first book was called Fighting Fire, because she was the first... Uh, female fire, uh, sorry, she was among the first female firefighters in the San Francisco Fire Department. There were 15 women and 1,500 kidding. men. When was that? In the 80s, late 80s, <sighs> early 90s. For that long? Yeah. Jesus. And, um, then uh she's written a a wonderful book called lost cat which is a memoir again and uh she just wrote a book called gutsy girl last year there was a bestseller on the new york times Mm. bestseller list to it it encourages girls uh, about 8 to 12 to become more active physically we tend to tell our girls in this society be careful don't get hurt and she feels that that affects women later in life sure so, yeah, so she's writing, and she has a book uh, on tea coming out uh next month on tea tea yeah it's a, it's called the little tea book. it's very different from what she's done, <laughs> Exactly. yeah, gutsy girl, I Have don't know some what tea. she's done. <laughs> So tea is actually really interesting, you know, because yeah. what I learned one thing is that herb tea is not tea. Yeah, that's a flower. Right, it's a flower, folks. Tea comes from one plant and one the plant tea only. Plant. Yeah, that's it. And it's how you, how you when you pick it and how you dry it and all that that makes it green mm. or black, mm. white, all sorts. So
0: yeah,
2: yeah. Um, I've spent some time around the tea plantations in India. Okay, yeah, I've never Great. been to Darjeeling, but down in the south there are some beautiful. So
3: you might uh, you might be interested. I'll get you this little tea book yeah. when it's done. You yeah. might be interested. I in like it. tea. Yeah,
2: Cassie, when we drink a lot of Earl Grey, and my wife calls it Early Grey, <laughs> I can't bear to correct her. Oh, it's, funny. it's so cute. <laughs> but, I think
3: it's I think it's apt it's, too. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you drink it to wake it's up, early it's really great. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, uh,
2: tea's interesting. It's it's fermented. It's it's very interesting smell. Beautiful, rich.
3: It has a lot of qualities. Yeah. I was I was sending her when she was writing it all these things about the health qualities of mm-hmm. it. And that The book is more about tea and its origins rather mm. than espousing tea's right. qualities. and
2: Antioxidants mm-hmm. and all that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, cultural history. So. Yeah. I love that. I love books that just pick this one thing and just drill right yeah. down into them. Right. There's a great book called Cod oh, that does that. And oh, interesting. I mean, all this interesting stuff. Well,
3: I think stuff. Michael... Um, Pollan also yeah. did that uh, yeah. with his book. He he did four. He picked four foods oh, the, and dug down. Oh, a botany plants. of desire, yeah, I think. Yeah, that was that was the really apple,
2: good. marijuana, potato, corn? Maybe and corn? was corn the other? I think yeah.
3: So. I think yeah, so, yeah. That was
2: a good book. It
3: was very good.
2: Very um, interesting. Shed a totally new light on Johnny Appleseed.
3: Can't remember that. I read it a long time ago. My memory yeah. is not great. Well, Tell Johnny me. Well, Johnny
2: Appleseed, who, you know, for you non-Americans out there, he's sort of this American cult hero about health and have an apple every day. And Johnny Appleseed went around the frontier planting apple trees so people would always have apples. Turns out the apple species that he was planting – is so sour, no one could ever eat it. Yeah. So what? It he was going out in front of the frontier, planting orchards of these apples, so that when the frontiersmen finally got there and had a town, he would be able to sell them alcoholic apple cider. <laughs> He was a drug dealer.
3: That's great. I love it. Um, thank you for refreshing my memory. That's fantastic. <laughs>
2: yeah. Michael Pollan's great. I really enjoy his writing. Have you seen his recent book about the psychedelics?
3: No, I have not. I find Very interesting. It's good.
2: How to Change Your Mind. I haven't read it um, because I've been involved in psychedelic and psychedelic research and for like 35 years or something. So his book is sort of, uh, you know, um, entry level introduction to something that i've been very involved in um but it's great because he's such he's so trusted right by mainstream american culture yeah and he writes it as like well you know i was very suspicious and i you know i thought i could overdose and all and then you know he sort of dips his toes in and and talks about all the great research and clinical work that's happening now with kids with terminal illness and, you know, helping people with addictions. And it turns out psychedelics are extremely helpful when used properly. And, Isn't that uh, how
3: LSD started or in an E?
2: Well, I know the person who reinvented ecstasy, actually, Sasha Shulgin, um
3: you mean from a therapy, a drug to try and get couples to open up to each other and get a better right. one to a party drug? They re, he
2: well, no, saw? he, he, what happened, you know, I often say he invented it, but it's not accurate because the molecule was first isolated by scientists at Bear in the twenties and they gave it to rats and didn't notice any behavioral change or physiological change. So they shelved it and then it was never used or investigated again until a chemist named Sasha Shulgin um, invented it near Berkeley, reinvented, right? He didn't know it had already been isolated. Uh, What he was doing, he's a brilliant chemist, and he would take um, neurotransmitter, uh, serotonin, norepinephrine, dopamine molecules, and um, create something very similar with one, One alteration. Uh And then he and his friends would take micro doses of those things and walk around this ranch in the Berkeley Hills and have a clipboard and they'd write about what they felt, if any alteration. And if it was positive for most people, then they would up the dose the next weekend. And if it was negative, they'd Mm. abandon it. And so he investigated and um, created hundreds or thousands of different molecules. And one of them was MDMA. Ah. And most of the friends who were doing these assay weekends were psychologists or therapists or, you know, sort of yoga teachers and, like, people interested in this sort of thing. And so when they came, when MDMA became clear that this was an entheogen that, um, or or what's the other word that they use for it? Um Um compatibility no uh i forget there's a, a word that they coined for like increasing the sense of connectedness and compassion and oh,
0: okay.
2: openness yeah um that uh they then it filtered out into the therapeutic community and through that and it was totally legal because it didn't this exist was the 70s this was Probably, yeah, late 70s. And then it was used for 10, 15 years, um, mostly in California by therapists in couples therapy and treating PTSD, particularly um, before it got into the club scene in Austin, I think, is where it really started. Oh, really? Uh, and then, you know, that's when it became problematic and people started having issues and then the FDA came in and or the DEA, I guess, made it illegal very quickly against the recommendation of their own research panel. Congress set up a panel to investigate it they came back and said this has clear clinical uses it's very um if used properly it's not dangerous at all this you know you could make it illegal for street use but we recommend that doctors have access to this and they just said no and they very rarely overrule their own panel right but they did wow yeah anyway how the hell did we get oh lsd lsd, LSD was originally uh, marketed as a psychotomimetic which means that it it Mimicked the the experience of psychosis, and so psychiatrists and psychologists were taking it so that they could have the experience of psychosis, so that they would then be better able to work with their patients.
3: Oh, that's interesting! Isn't that
2: crazy? And so wow. brave and yeah, you know, so yeah. courageous.
3: And this was the seventies. This 60s? was late
2: fifties. Oh, okay. Yeah, f- mid to late fifties, uh, early sixties. Yeah, they got locked out, but now it's opening up again, Yeah, uh, thanks to MAPS. Shout out to Rick Doblin and MAPS, Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. They've been um, pushing Congress and the White House to allow research and clinical use of these things for the last 20 years or so, and they've really started to get some results. It's fantastic. Oh,
3: good. Yeah. I'm not... I, I was never one to, um, I never drank or did drugs, mm. uh, literally, until I had had one glass of wine when I was 16, half a glass of wine in 16 and half a glass when I was 18, and that was that. Sort of, I was, felt it was under duress, and then nothing else until I was about 49. Huh. And then I tried E at Burning Man. Oh. Yeah, and I... I get a better high and then I did uh, mushrooms once uh, under a shaman type person and I really wanted to learn something and I didn't learn enough the, the best thing about the first experience was that it was the first experience, that it was outside of my comfort zone mm. and my identity. Mm. I thought to myself, all right, Alexander, you've been someone who's never done drugs for long enough. Now you can change. <laughs> so that was the learning experience with the E the very first time. Um, were you
2: on the playa? Or yeah. huh. Yeah. Uh-huh,
3: yeah. And, uh, and it was great, but it wasn't great enough for me to do it again. I get a better feeling of openness and self Worth and appreciation and gratitude from uh, working out. Mm. So I, I haven't had a desire to do anything else. God,
2: I wish I got that feeling from working out.
3: Do you, I guess I have heard that some people don't get that high. <sighs> yeah.
2: No. Mm. No. I mean, if I got that high or if I had like the gay gym experience
3: oh which is what you mean all these attractive people would be around you well
2: and like you know guys hooking up in the locker room and all this kind of stuff <laughs> you have,
3: to have sex attached to your work well
2: some kind of pleasure something oh, get me yeah. high or get me off but oh, yeah. i mean otherwise why am i going to a gym it smells bad and it's a bunch of people looking at themselves in the mirror and cnn playing and-
3: Wait, how do you feel afterwards Sore. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah.
2: No, I don't. Yeah, like, maybe
3: it's a different. A I wish different I reaction. did. I mean,
2: I've tried running. I mean, I can't tell you how many pairs of expensive running shoes I've bought. <laughs> like, I'm gonna run now. It's gonna be different. And I run, and my teeth start to hurt, and my brain is banging around inside my skull, and my knees hurt. And I'm like, what the fuck am I doing here? This is not so. You fun. don't get
3: the runners high. No. You don't get the endor- endorphin. R- I get oh, a runners
2: okay. low. Oh, okay. I get real low. Yeah. Got
3: it. Oh, gosh. I'm so sorry for you. Me um, too. I feel low if I don't work out. I
2: do like beer, though. See, that's <laughs> the problem.
3: Do you, like, you know, do you like, is that, you,
2: I get the beer the, drinkers eye? high. Is yeah, what I yeah. get.
3: But do like beer for this week is maybe not the right no. thing to say. I know. Well, it's topical. <laughs> this particular I week. I really
2: like beer and I want to be on the Supreme Court. Yeah, no, it's, it's a problem. My wife, my wife loves to work out. She's uh, like super. She looks like she does. Yeah. yeah she you can tell.
3: She just looks beautiful and, and healthy. And
2: she enjoys it. And you know, she comes back from the gym and she's glowing and, you know if there's dance involved even better
3: nice maybe you just haven't found the right um movement it could very well could be that you might Mm. have walking be something i like
2: walking ah yeah there you go yeah i like moving
3: oh well there's no problem you need to do
2: i like swimming but i don't like swimming laps okay i don't like being bored okay that's the problem
3: well that's great you just found it walking and swimming in the ocean, or, yeah. right? Are well, you talking but about there the ocean or fucking
2: sharks in the ocean? I'll <laughs> tell you what, Jaws ruined the ocean for me.
3: It did. Okay, and it we're did. about
2: the same age. Did it, yeah. you see Jaws when mm. you were a kid? I did. I did. Were yes. you like groting and like because that's Jaws territory out there, right? Yeah,
3: well, I, did, I didn't swim much in the Cape or anything, and mm. um, but I swim a lot out here, and I um, I've, I swim a lot in the ocean, and um, hmm. I, there are times when i'm afraid of monsters when i'm yeah. swimming monsters they're just sort of general monsters mm. um but i still swim
2: yeah I, no i like being in the ocean i like it i like the water to be clear though
3: then yeah then you've, you're narrowing down wh- when know. you like to swim and when you like to it's cool it's cool when you like to yeah. walk but it sounds like you know you still you still can get benefits from exercise You don't have to be oh, running yeah. or the gym yeah I hear walking.
2: Sex is fine.
3: Sex? Sex is, I don't know if sex is that.
2: It's exercise. If you do it right.
3: I mean, how much exercise? I'm talking about sustained, you know, I don't know. I I don't consider sex exercise. I consider it sex. Yeah. No matter how vigorous and stuff it is. Yeah. But if it helps you, if it helps you get exercise, then you've got a double whammy there.
2: Yeah. A double whammy. (laughs)
3: <laughs> Double whammy, yeah, no pun intended
2: I'm sure that so. means something right? <laughs> there must be some secondary meaning to that phrase uh, Yeah, no, exercise is I like doing See, for me, I like doing things that are part of my life I don't like exercise per se So it
3: takes you away from your life? Well, because it just
2: feels like I could be doing something more interesting mm. So, um, in Barcelona where i've lived most of my adult life you walk everywhere because the city's designed that way Mm -hmm. and it's really easy and it's fun and it's cool and wherever you go there are shops and people and there are no dead zones you know what i mean so it's a pedestrian design city so if i'm gonna go see my buddy and it's 20 blocks away i'll just walk and it'll be great but i've walked 20 blocks you know,
3: right, and I, that's great. Walking, yeah. So you've integrated into your life; it's
2: part of life. Yeah. But then in America, it's because it's so car based.
3: Yeah, you and have to make
2: it. you sort of like have to go. Okay, four o'clock. I got to yeah. go do that, and then it becomes work. And
3: well, I, I think one option. I'm also certified as a health coach, and oh. one option that um, I encourage my clients is that make it fun so if you want to multitask i have no problem with that so i listen to podcasts a lot when i'm mm. swimming and
2: when you're swimming yeah uh-huh, like have waterproof a, yeah i have mm-hmm.
3: a um because i used to be able to swim laps for hours and not and be fine and then I hey, maybe it's part of this culture of always wanting to be entertained a few years ago i just I couldn't do it anymore i couldn't swim mm. uh, i mean i i've training for long swim races i've trained in the pool for 5 hours and been fine with not listening to anything just enjoying the feeling of movement in my and my brain it was kind of a meditation now i can't do that so i do listen to podcasts but i also encourage people to exercise with take walks with your partner which is quality time that people often don't get or with friends yeah so i'm all about i don't really like going to dinner and sitting at a table, and mm. I like going for a walk with my friends. Right, right. It's really quality time together, yeah. and so that's how I like to put it together. Also,
2: well, if we do a part two of this podcast, we can do it walking. We
3: could do it. Oh, I'm all beautiful, about that back here in. Topanga. Oh yeah, you, it's you really live in nice. an, a gorgeous. Where folks yeah. who are listening, it's gorgeous here. And. It's really uh, nice. So, yeah, that's uh, definitely would love to walk. If you don't mind hearing my scuffing. <laughs> Scuffling,
2: yeah. We'll walk softly like Indians. Um, acting. We were talking about acting. Oh, yeah, we are talking about like, how I
3: got into acting. Right. So, so I was modeling and I was right. cast in a TV movie about models. They were looking for Oh about, So girl. you played a model. So it was a great transition because... Yeah. I was very comfortable in front of sure. a camera, a yeah. still camera. So playing a model, all that part was easy. And um, and Ed Zwick was my director. Who's, wow! Yeah, who's right. now gone He's on big. to win Academy Awards. Right. And so he was. It was in 1982. So we were all pretty new. Huh. And he was the most amazing director. I have to say that he set the bar high. I don't. I really believe he's still my favorite director. Really? yeah even mm-hmm. in
2: that which even is after doing low a, budget.
3: 100 other projects yeah. as i've been in 100 other tv movies or movies and uh yeah he remains that you I never worked with he him doesn't, again he doesn't know that I don't uh, think, But
2: all well, maybe he listens, uh, maybe, hey, he
3: listens maybe he listens <laughs> i have never worked with him again i've, I've run into him maybe once mm. um in santa monica yeah that's it so
2: you may not know this but i'm an award-winning actor
3: are you really yeah tell me
2: see the trophy up there
3: tell me what does that say
2: uh avian awards
3: isn't that the porn awards
2: that is yeah
3: what were you in a porn <laughs> and you got an award for it what was your award
2: best well you can't read it there but it's best non-sex performance Oh. <laughs> <laughs> is that the that's
3: best? great what was your performance
2: Uh, kind of like you I played myself
3: oh it was great
2: it was natural it's perfect
3: (laughs) I've been on a porn set I went with my friend Jason who was going to playing a going to be playing a porn director Uh and so I said I want he, he was doing research and so I said I want to I want to come with you and and see the porn set and we went on the worst day you can go on a porn set a dialogue day Oh really? I'll swear there was, I left I dialogue, was like no sex right? I'm leaving yeah. yeah They just did all the dialogue huh, You know There right. is dialogue in sex so, uh, Maybe like, not now This was in the this I didn't was before... order a pizza Yeah that right. I think this was gangsters I remember two guys Walking in with glasses And mm-hmm. wearing jackets uh,
2: Like gangsters do Soon
3: probably to come off But that was not What they were shooting that yeah, day yeah. So yeah
2: <laughs> Yeah no I It was I mean the reason I'm, I'm interested Legitimately about acting Because when I did that I felt like I could do this like this because the thing is, I, I played the author of Sex at Dawn, right? Cassie and uh-huh. I were in it. Yes. True. And so there's, it was like a film within the film, mm. the, the main lead actress in the film plays a documentary filmmaker so she's making a documentary about sexuality so she's interviewing us about our book which is you know but then she starts crying in the middle of it and rushes off because she's having relationship issues and then the next scene i'm with her in the kitchen and we're having this sort of heart-to-heart about her relationship issues this right?
3: is a porn mo- this doesn't yeah. sound like a very interesting porn where's the porn no,
2: no. Well, there was bring on pl- the
3: porn there's plenty of porn
2: <laughs> nina hartley's in it
3: I don't actually know. Well, she was a lot in of Boogie Nights.
2: Actresses. She's she's legendary. She's, oh, she is. Okay. Yeah, she she was in Boogie Nights, the, you know, the, the movie about. Yeah. But
3: she was playing herself again? She or, I don't think she played it, herself. She's a porn actress. But she recently. played a, ah. a
2: porn actress. Oh, yeah. ah,
3: okay. Okay, well congratulations. I'm afraid yeah. I don't have an award like that. Well, but I do have a couple awards, but I I use them. I either get don't like awards. I don't like having a lot of stuff. Yeah, so well, one of my them only
2: awards. Yeah, so I think you should put I'm it up, but they're good
3: as doorstops too. They are good. They hold the door open. open. It's yeah. heavy.
2: I mean, it's I could heavy. definitely kill an intruder with that. It, thing. Yes, yeah.
3: it looks really. Congratulations! Thank you. I think that's cool.
2: I think best non-sex performance. I know, it's hilarious. I think I might. That might be the name of my memoir too.
3: <laughs> that's great. I love it. That's really great. <laughs> anyway,
2: the the point I was making is you
3: thought you could be an actor.
2: Well, at that point, I had done enough. Press around the book. I'd done a lot of interviews. I'd been in a lot of documentaries. I'd done TED Talks, you know, all this kind of stuff that I could ignore cameras.
0: Mm, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And I
2: think that's a big hump to get over. And it took a while. But by the time we did that, I could just, you, you know, not see the cameras. Mm, good. And, no wonder you got the award. Well, and then it felt like this is really fun. You know, this is fun because i like doing things that are i mean this podcast is like fun for me because it's easy i like sitting here talking with you it's not work for i understand for a lot of people having microphones and a recorder like that would be work
3: or speaking in public which is a speaking huge fear in public of people. exactly yeah.
2: right Fearing you know, can to be judged did i say the wrong thing you know like if it's almost like negative talent you know what i mean like Like, I've been shooting a bow and arrow recently, and uh, I'm pretty good at it. And it turns out that I think the reason I'm good at it is that I don't have what people call target panic. Mm. So it's a negative talent in that I'm good because that doesn't get in. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like being a beginner, you don't
3: know all the things that when you're first starting something, you don't, well, A, your expectations aren't as high. Right. Right. Um, but I think, you know, I've heard that a lot about acting being easy and I just, I, there's some interesting things about being on a set because being on a, in yeah. a theater is different, Yeah. but being on a set, there's several things that you have to be able to do. One is you have to be able to create a character and then shoot the scenes out of sequence. So you have to know yeah. the arc of the character right. and know that on Monday morning you're shooting maybe the very last scene of the movie. Right. Um, I did one movie where we actually, the love scene was the first scene up and that can be very good or uncomfortable for people right. you know, because you don't know somebody, which could be great right. or you don't know them. So that is, makes you incredibly, you're not comfortable with right. them yet. Right. And the next thing is it's challenging is that you have to do it over and over because you do takes. several yeah. takes yeah. for each setup. Right. So, um, as we're sitting here we'd have to repeat what we just did right. for several different angles two or three other angles depends on the budget of the film uh for example a tom cruise movie does just maybe one page a day or two pages a day and that's exhausting to try yeah. and make it seem fresh
0: right and right.
3: for women one thing that i really struggled with and was the emotional scenes yeah. Uh, as I got older, it became harder.
2: Because it felt false?
3: Because I had less baggage, less personal baggage. Oh. oh, in the beginning, I could just bring it up about my parents' divorce or um, oh. the pain of a breakup. Um, so
2: you work through your shit
3: and that yeah. makes it harder? For me, it That's did. Because I was t- taught to use my own feeling, my own stuff, and I would try right. and bring that up um and so it became really terrifying to be and women when i did a lot of movies i starred in 14 movies for lifetime and basically when you play the the woman you have one crying scene mm. men never have to cry in movies rarely 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 we women we generally want especially when you're doing tv movies that you got to cry at least once something mm. terrible happens right um and it's really stressful because they usually do the wide shot first but it's really the close-up to. Unless you ask, the close-up is the one that they're going to end up using. And after, that's eight, ten takes if it's a lower-budget movie that you've had to. And and then they've got to move over to the other actor. And you want to give to the other actor so they can react appropriately. You don't want to undersell what you're going to be doing. So they're shooting you
2: alone in the whole thing. And then they shoot the the other person. They're not shooting the two of you.
3: They do do that. They shoot a master. The whole room. Right. this whole room and we do that a couple of times because maybe we flub a line or right. the camera flubs or something like that. And then you want some safeties and then the director wants something a little different maybe. Um, then we shoot a two shot. So we do that a few times, same mm. thing over, same thing, two shot. And once again, several takes, then they might shoot an over the shoulder, which means over here. So they see a little bit of me and to you mm. then they want to shoot you mm-hmm. close close right then they got to go and do the same thing to me so Man. usually as if it's a scene where i'm really emotional the, i will ask or the director will say we'll we'll shoot your close-up and your medium first right but that's still many takes in so there's a huge it requires challenge
2: more intensity from you so they get it out of the way first
3: get it out of the way first and right. then also you know then what you're going to be needing to react to if i right. can't give it to you um, so, so it can get, for yeah. me, that was my, a challenge as an actor, and yeah. I see some of my work where I think, you know, I really shouldn't have made that choice to cry when it's, maybe I should have, I should have picked something else because I look like I'm pushing like crazy for the crying. Or, you know, they do things I I never have any shame about saying, can you give me some visine? Can mm. you give me some stuff that'll make my eyes? right You know, you get a little tricks but these are things that sometimes they work sometimes they don't Yeah, Um, that was what Ed Zwick was so great with me about with my very first one he knew some of my psychology so he would talk to me before a take and then then I would be emotionally full but a lot of directors I've worked with don't talk to actors they Mm. just tell you where to stand where you should go for your lighting um so it, it, the actors or some you know you and and sometimes I really like it that an actors that a director lets me do it. So it's an it it can be challenging. So when Ed Zwick
2: way. spoke to you before the scene, an emotional scene, what's he saying to you?
3: You know, I don't remember exactly, but I do remember that he would he might have known I think my parents divorce, which had happened a couple years earlier, might have been <clears throat> the largest thing in in the emotional thing in my life, and he knew that. And so he might have just, you don't even have to, you can't go through a whole story because then the person, if I, if for example, if I want you to feel some emotion, and is there something that might bring up emotion for you?
2: Oh, sure. Lots of things. Like my father died three weeks ago.
3: Oh, so.
2: <laughs> There's a good one.
3: So if I just... Yeah. I wouldn't even have to ask you to go through the whole story. I might sure. just have to say something like, just think of your dad. Yeah. And that's enough yeah. for you. Right. To... So it's... You don't have to... to it's, it's an art to be able right. to tap somebody. So it's just a
2: reminder of something that will resonate to for make you. make you
3: open. And sometimes right. just touching your heart and me touching your chest and saying, how are you doing? Yeah. About your dad. Right. Um that can but then what happens is then you're full and then the director goes okay in place she's full and she's ready (laughs) and so you get forward and then you know then you do it and then the makeup people come in yeah they want to futz with you and that gets you out of this feeling that you had yeah so
2: (laughs) do you ever feel like when you're doing that do you ever feel exploitative of your own life
3: no no I feel like it's great it makes me feel and it makes me so it was so it's no it's painful but sometimes and maybe as I got older I learned to. it was became painful that I couldn't really access as many feelings because it's hard to feel that Mm. but um, I can I'm actually can be very emotional like to the thought of your father, you know that. Yeah, I could see that. That was my own father, yeah, right? But, yeah. um, but sometimes I do tend to shut down, and also I'll shut down on a set because I'll know there's 12 takes before my close up, and that'll make me start it. think saving, and then saving means shutting down, and it's so it, yeah, it can be challenging, really, to interesting. be uh, at least a, an actress. Yeah. I think men deal with different challenges.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, huh. And. Yeah. As I've gotten older though and with different technology, the technology's changed a lot because I remember that when the 80s when I grew up with film, the the key light for your close-up lighting was so important and that and you you you'd get on the set after it took them an hour to set up for your lighting for your close-up if it was a studio film and you'd be tired because it's you'd been waiting for the close-up and you'd be tired and then the lighting guy would say okay there's your key light don't move (laughs) and so it was it was really it was a challenge and now it's more free the lighting it's dvd Uh, the digital the lighting is easier Mm. and the camera they they'll keep things rolling because you're not using film
2: Mm. all right
3: so there's a lot of great things happening now that makes it easier for an actor it still
2: sounds so exhausting though you know I mean, when I had that experience, and I I felt like oh, I like this. You know, I, I don't mean to be disrespectful. I know, like, there's a lot to it more than me standing in the kitchen with a porn star. But what I liked about it was a feeling. Um, what's the word? Like, like a uh, like getting into a groove, like believing something and just going with it. Yeah, and and forgetting everything around it. Something about that was very relaxing,
3: mm, you know? That's great. That's like, so like great that you felt that.
2: in a way. Yeah. You know? um, but now when you're describing the reality of, you know, cut and this and that and that and that, it feels like it would be really hard to find that. Do you, I mean, are there experiences where you find that, where you're like in it, you're in the character, you forget everything and you just...
3: And then there are experiences Go? when you don't, when you're noticing yeah. that the person you're talking to, their hair is in their eyes, <laughs> but you have to pretend that that it's not, right. you didn't notice it. Right. And so yeah. it's great that you got into the zone. It's yeah. great. I, yeah. I, um, That's it. When I'm flow. not in the yeah. zone, then I have to use technique. Right. I have to use technique or right. I have to use... Vising, So, um, but that's part of my technique, you know, or uh, music, music beforehand or certain physical Uh, gesture. If you hold yourself you now, did you learn up.
2: this stuff in your acting classes? Yeah, was it method acting or what?
3: all sorts? But yes, uh. method. I I was very. I studied a lot of method in the eighties, and mm. but all sorts of classes. I really think it's important to get all different kinds of techniques, mm. and then ones that don't work for you. It's okay to let them go. Mm. I used to think, oh, this isn't working for me. I'm I'm a bad actress. But really, no. Just find another way, uh, another technique that works for you.
2: It seems like. Acting is one of those things where it would be interesting to study it because it's very much the study of yourself and the study of consciousness. You know what I mean? It's not like learning.
3: Oh, you uh, mean to take an acting class?
2: Yeah. Like when I hear about acting classes, a lot of times it's like, wow, that must be fun. Even if you're not going to be an actor, it's like therapy. You're, you know, you're getting in touch with these different things in yourself that you're probably ignoring otherwise. And, you know, you're it's a lot of self-exploration it seems like
3: well for me it was some people chafe at acting classes therapy but i found them very therapeutic and terrifying more yeah. terrifying than work i would often right. get work when i started a new class because uh i think it was psychological it was like oh my gosh because i was in yeah i was in i was very because you've got to go up against your peers uh-huh. and show your work and it just those are the people that i want to uh, like to be impressed by me the most, other actors, I guess, and it was so acting class can be terrifying, um, but very and you, but you have to be brave emotionally. I think yeah. that's really yeah. the key to being an actor is just being brave. And actually, right. I had an acting teacher tell me that I was auditioning for a, a, a movie with Jeff Bridges. I was in my twenties. It was called Eight Million Ways to Die, and it was a part of a prostitute. And I, being a, you know, New England girl, did not see myself. I was taught that sexuality was for your boyfriend or your your lover, but it wasn't something public. So I never displayed sex. Being sexy was mm. never a priority for me. Hmm. And it just was never the way I led. I always led with smarts and kindness was far more important than being thought, being people being attracted to me sexually. Right. And... So I thought, I'm not right for this, but I moved up and when I had to do the screen test, I went to my acting class and my acting teacher told me, you just have to be braver than the other actresses, Alexandra. And I was, and I got the part. Mm. And so having never thought of myself, and I've played prostitutes actually since, because I am braver. I... Sexuality comes in many different forms and uh, different ways, and I hadn't thought of myself like that. But once I opened myself up to seeing, uh, being giving myself permission to show uh, that side of me to the public, then it was was great. It was great. I feel very comfortable, and I did a lot of homework uh, l- subsequently, meeting prostitutes, going to um, brothels, um, and yeah. So I think in that way, acting really helped me develop Mm. a side of myself or see myself in a a way that Mm. I wouldn't have if I hadn't been an actor. Never would have gotten that opportunity.
2: And probably, I imagine, certainly the way you do it, circling all the way back to the beginning of our conversation, when you act, uh, for example, you probably have a lot more insight and compassion toward prostitutes. Now, than you would have if you'd never had that exposure.
3: I, you're right. I see prostitution. Well, I actually personally, and I think I did then too, believe prostitution should be legal. um But I have yes, I have absolutely prostitution as a job, and women each have interesting lives that are important and they're smart you know they're not necessarily stupid or bad or drug addicts or anything like that so yes i think being an actor also helps you not judge Mm. because when you even if you play a bad the bad guy in a movie you when you inhabit the character when i inhabit a character that might not be socially acceptable. I have to believe that I'm a good, I believe everyone thinks that they're a good person on one level. I have to root for myself, root for my character. So you have to look at the beauty in all humans, which is why I love people. And you must too, because you interview them, you're interested in them. And I just think people are amazing. And I see over and over again, how my judgments are wrong. Mm. So many times I get taught that lesson over and over. People are so amazing prostitutes all sorts of folks. Have
2: you ever played an evil
3: character? Rarely, but yes, I have a couple times, but not very often. I would like to. I would yeah, like to. I imagine
2: that would be fascinating.
3: I would like to definitely. But I have played people that are very different from myself. I actually right. play people who aren't um very worldly very well. Um and I've traveled a lot and read a lot, and but I, I really enjoy. I played the virgin Connie Swale in Dragnet, and she was the quintessential, we talked about bimbos earlier, but she was um, very naive and innocent. And uh, I and then my next character was the prostitute. Or oh. no, wait, the prostitute was first, and then the next one was the virgin. <laughs> yep, right back to back.
0: <laughs> That's
2: nice. That's a good combo. Good flow. So. Hey, you're, I, I'm really fascinated by this. I've lost track of time. What time do you have to roll?
3: Oh, I'm okay. I have 15 minutes. 15 yeah. minutes.
2: Okay, good. Um, I mean, we, we, I guess we have to mention Baywatch, going from, you know, you're not leading with your sexuality to one of the most famous, like, Sexual shows ever I mean When was Baywatch Was that the 80s 90s When was
3: it Um, The first episode Was in 89 That was NBC's uh, Series And then it was Dropped by NBC And became a syndicated show In 1991 No sorry 1990 And I came on the show In 1991 I was on for five seasons Yeah you know That show taught me So much I was cast um, And The In I was cast because they were looking for they they liked they li- I wasn't right for either part they were trying to cast which mm. was ended up being filled by Nicole Eggert and the other part was Pamela Anderson. I wasn't right for either. But they liked me when I auditioned and I was tall. And Hasselhoff is really tall. And I'm 5'10 and he's 6'4 or something. So um and I could swim really well. Uh. So they they decided, you know, we're going to write a role for her. Uh, and okay. um I just love being on that show. It was so fun. It was amazing, and the show was actually not. um, It's sensuous, and what we didn't, and there were a lot of beautiful women in it with curvaceous, lots of cleavage. But the show was really a very, in my opinion, a sweet show. Yeah, it wasn't.
2: It wasn't erotic.
3: No, it wasn't erotic at all. But it was. It was bodies. Yeah. Because <laughs> we were on a beach.
2: California. Yeah. Surfers. Sunshine. Yeah.
3: So it's really visually. And actually it's being re it's going to come out on Amazon in HD oh. um, in, next year in 2019. Oh. And it's a, it's a wonderful guilty pleasure. We actually saved a lot of lives um, because people would see that show and they learned a bit of CPR or how to say. So we would get letters on how watching that show save lives. And it also, one thing about that show is which which was great and which was not common in the early 90s was that the women on that show had the same same roles as men. We were all equal. Mm. We had the same storylines and I know from playing being the lead female in a lot of TV movies, series and movies that women get get got really short shrift. They had few scenes if it was a movie usually playing the girlfriend usually just there because of her relationship with the lead guy hmm. um or there was maybe a second female lead and she was a wait- waitress or the best friend right and there are eight great roles for men right or ten great roles for men but only one for a woman in the entire movie and so baywatch had these we were playing i was the boss i played a lieutenant at lifeguard and we were saving men women driving boats jumping out mm. of planes we were doing everything the mm. men did good point so, so
2: there's like a female empowerment angle there
3: from i, I mean, believe honestly, that i've never
2: seen it i lived overseas and
3: and i, I you know yeah we were in bathing suits and yeah. we looked we you know they showed bathing you know rest going up and down in slow motion i just I think we just, Americans are crazy. Like, so what? We're on the beach, for God's sake. We're supposed to wear a bathing suit. That's what happens um, when you run. And would yeah. you want people who you don't find attractive? I mean, do you want to watch that? I, I think we were just yeah. doing what's human. Um, and also, we were the first show in mainland China. and the And in countries like Iran, it was shown... In Iran. Oh, really? Yeah, not legally, but oh. so people could see that women could do things. Right. Women. That's my defense, and we were also what I love about being is The '90s was an era of global, globalization, trade wise. So do you
2: feel defensive about? It, am I sounding defensive? Well, you said that's I'm probably my-
3: sounding defensive because I'll tell you. <laughs> you
2: said that's my defense. And I was like, did I, did I yeah. attack? I didn't. No, no, oh, you didn't, didn't attack.
3: I so yes, I probably am defensive. And let me tell you why. Well, let me just finish my last yeah, sure, defense of sure. the show. <laughs> is that it was an era of globalization in the '90s where trade opened up, yeah. and Baywatch was the first show that was shown all around the world at pretty much the same time. Mm. So it was also the first of this global globalization. It was it was um, uh, emblematic of that. So maybe I'm elevating it. By the way, we all knew it was really fluffy fair. It is fluffy fair. It is a guilty pleasure. But I think I defend it because I think people often criticize it when they haven't seen it. By the way, I don't think you criticized it at all. Um, And I used to get here. I used to, and it would hurt my feelings because people would come up and say, oh, you're on that show, Baywatch. (laughs) And they would laugh. Mm. And then there would be this silence where I'd be standing there. And I would think, yeah. And then they would say, but I've never seen that show. And, like, they, they knew I was on the show. They wanted me to know I knew it. But they wanted also me to know that they didn't stoop that low. That was generally the sort of thing. They, my fans have always been really nice. But there's just such an awkwardness where I thought it felt like um, it hurt my feelings, yeah, basically.
2: Yeah, because they're, I mean, it really keys into this American hang-up around bodies, and sexuality and like we're all titillated but we're gonna pretend we're not you know that's and
3: also it was considered very yeah like, low it's low brow which right. it was just a fun we never we never thought it was brain surgery yeah. um so i'm not sure why yeah, yeah. Okay. so anyway yeah that's so interesting that you said maybe i am sounding defensive because i want but now now it's 2018 and now the show is cool because it's old and kitschy and Mm. so it's they made a movie out of it the movie didn't do very well here but did well Mm. overseas and now they're remastering it for Amazon so it can't have and been. And there's that whole,
2: like, Hasselhoff is big in Germany thing. I, I, know, isn't I don't I really understand that. Because like, he is. Does he live in Germany? Or no, does he speak German or anything? No, but the Germans just loved
3: him. Kind of like Jerry Lewis is... In
2: France. In France. Yeah, yeah. And he,
3: when the wall came down, he went and sang on the wall. But probably because he was popular already ah, there. right. right. And... I mean, Hasselhoff, maybe that's a German name, but he doesn't speak German. So, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) that's why actually my manager told me, listen, I think that when you're, I didn't want to do a series. I didn't want to, not because of Baywatch per se, but because it was a commitment that I wasn't sure I wanted to make to a series. And in the the 90s, it was different going, moving from movies to Hmm. television. You were afraid you'd never get out again. Now actors move really easily and actually it's great they want, now everyone wants to go on television. Right. Um, but back then it was a, a little mm. uneasy. So, but my manager said, no, no, you need to go on the show, Alexandra, because it's really popular in Germany. And that's where a lot of the, uh, producers, the and money's coming from for independent films. And I was doing a lot of independent films. Yeah, so I right. said, okay, I'll do it. And then it turned out to be such fun yeah. and such, such a great, Experience. How many seasons were you on? I was on for four and a half seasons, ah. and I say four and a half is because when I I told them I wanted to leave, then they shot extra shows and kind of dribbled them in the next season.
2: Did your character die, or how my did they- character
3: died oh. heroically?
2: Saving someone? Oh
3: yes. Oh I asked for that. They were gonna yeah, send me away. And I thought I asked for the producers, can you make me die a heroic death? That's what I want. Then I can have a really nice montage. <laughs> yeah. And I did, I did. So was, saving I a saved. child. I
0: did, I oh, saved a child. Oh. You got it. I saved a
3: child. <laughs> An underprivileged child. Oh, underprivileged. Yes. Underprivileged on a, a a mast fell on her and I I sacrificed myself instead. Oh.
2: You pushed her out of the way. That was
3: actually a very hard death scene because they had to have wind and rain on me because it was a storm on a boat and I had to say these lines and there was just so much rain. And then in (laughs) the end, in the end, after they had looked at it, they said, Alexandra, you've got to loop the whole thing because the wind and the rain was too noisy so you have to go in and dub the lines over again. In a studio. Dubbing yourself. So yeah. Wow. So that end scene, I ended up, in my opinion, not being very good because I'm not particularly good at looping, especially s- when no. I, as I'm dying.
2: You saved the kid, though. I
3: saved the kid. Yes. Oh, and you I had, got a good montage. That's oh, and you had the like thing. you had
2: final words after the mast hit you. Oh when you're lying yes. There, oh, like-
3: a scene, a whole scene, and that's one rain and wind and oh. and Hasselhoff and my fiancee was played by oh. Vince Van Patten and I had to have a whole three pages of dialogue oh. yeah yeah oh. so and then they said sorry Alexandra we've got to <laughs> loop the whole thing <laughs> <laughs> so there you go but no I love doing that show so much and people always think it's funny because I'm kind of in a you know I have a lot of activism, I'm very serious, yeah, a lot of yeah. my, was very earnest, and then um, I did a lot of movies for Lifetime, I was on Melrose Play, all this really fluffy fare, and I loved mm. shooting it. I loved it.
2: You know, when when you were coming over here today, I thought, let's talk about acting for 15 minutes and then get into the activism and this more serious <laughs> stuff. But this has been so interesting. I, I mean, it, it's such your life. is Well, you so should tell me about acting
3: because you won an award. <laughs> an award you with know, the actor. so <laughs> I was in the zone after
2: all. Yeah, I think that's For great. For all of ten minutes, I
3: think that's great. Well, yes, it's been. I like talking. I like talking, and it's been a pleasure talking yeah. with you.
2: Well, I I feel bad that we didn't get into more of the activism. Maybe we can uh, get together again sometime. That
3: would be fine, we'll and um, certainly your your listeners can look me up and and I have a podcast that's dropping in January right. called Switch for Good about I am a a vegan and uh-huh. um it's it's a we interview people who talk about the benefits of going dairy free and meat free. So so
2: that's going to be the focus. Uh, you're going to talk to chefs, people in the doctors, business? and
3: we have, for example, tomorrow I'll be talking to a doctor uh-huh. and to a bodybuilder, a vegan oh, bodybuilder. And my co-host is Dotsie Bausch, who's an Olympic cyclist uh, who's also um, plant-based, and interesting. she's uh, she's great. So so thank you yeah. for. For having me on your podcast.
2: Yeah, well, I hope people will check it out. So it's January. Maybe we'll get together again when it drops. Thank you. So we can help publicize it. Because people forget. Between yes, they now do. And January they do.
3: <laughs> They're not marking it in their calendars. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe. <laughs> From
2: 1982.
3: Yeah. No, exactly. See, now we're dating our we're dating our podcast. But just so your listeners, Topical, know, this is right. uh, yeah, this is um, Brett because Brett Kavanaugh had a calendar and uh, he yeah. liked beer. Yeah. So those were he those really references. He really liked
2: beer yeah. in 1982. Now, see, he's like he's a little younger than I am, but like I knew that guy you did oh god the frat boys you know, oh yeah well i was like i
3: stayed away from them like i said because i didn't go to college and yeah. because i was terrified yeah. uh, were you that guy oh,
2: no oh, no no i was not rich enough or you know connected enough but i went to that school mm. like i went to this i went to hobart which was this liberal arts college in upstate new york sure. where you went if you were rich but you didn't get into an ivy my friend, league school my friend
3: clifton york went there
2: People named Clifton York oh. would go there. I mean, exactly.
3: he went to Graton. The third, yeah, yes, I think he yeah, was, of or the course fourth, he was. Oh. yeah, or the
2: fourth, yeah. But
3: he would be just a couple years younger than Brett. You. Did you know him?
2: No, no. Lots of Bretts and Chads and oh, okay. skips and.
3: In, Cl- I mean, in Clifton's defense, he was really nice. <laughs> I just was. Sure, say. he's fine.
2: Sure, he was an exception, but he was named Clifton York the third, <laughs> and he was on the golf team, and he probably played lacrosse. <laughs> You know, and he drove a Porsche when he was 18 years old. Fuck that guy.
3: I don't know if he did that. <laughs> he was very quiet when we were in high school together, but he uh, did. I think.
2: <laughs> Clifton, York. Exactly. You make my point. No, no, I was sort of not that guy for sure. Anyway, thank you, Alexandra Paul. Check out her podcast, people. It's in out January. in January. Mark your
3: calendars. <laughs> thank you very much, Christopher Ryan.
2: Apologies to Clifton, York the third. Hope hope you're listening to this and uh, accept the apologies. Anyway, that was Alexander Paul. Thanks for listening to this here episode of Tangentially Speaking. I really appreciate all of your support, whether it comes financially through PayPal, uh, Patreon, or whatever. If you're leaving bundles of cash in my driveway, whatever works for you is fine with me. And uh, I also appreciate all the non-financial support, people leaving cool reviews, friendly reviews on iTunes, tell your friends, whatever. You know how it works. And uh, I guess that's it. Uh, thanks to Basin and Range for that intro music. And, um, yeah, order some T-shirts from my mom. She's got a garage full of them, and a lot of them are on deep, deep discount because we're sort of unloading uh the the lines that are less popular we're sort of you know gonna focus more on uh on the ones that are selling a lot like the civilized to death everybody loves that sad monkey ape I know it's an ape but monkey's a cooler word um what else oh we got the beer cozies civilized to death beer cozies and we have stickers and whatever it's all at tangentiallyspeaking.com. dot com I will catch you next time thank you for listening Thank you for being out there. Send me those intro snips to uh, Christopher assistant at gmail.com. All right. Here's Carsey Blanton reminding you that you're going to die one day. Here's to you, Justin and Bennett.
1: He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. Chest, you wanna shut it up, but give it a rest. You're gonna die one day. Why do we waste our time thinking about a reputation?